0: It's time for Open Line Friday
1: on the Andy Griffin Show. It's your chance to be heard. Air your grievances and take your shot. Only on Open Line Friday on the Andy Griffin Show. Hi, everybody. Happy Friday to you. Hope you got a fun weekend planned. I, I don't think I have much planned. A couple of little things, but for the most part, it's going to be a chill weekend, doing a little uh, pickleballing swimming, stuff like that. Uh, It's going to be hot, though. Hot and windy, actually. Hot is good for if you have a pool. Windy is bad if you play pickleball because uh, that ball is just light, and it's going to blow all over the place. Uh, we'll see what happens there. I think it's supposed to be windy in the evening, afternoon, and evening. So, if I play early, might be might be all right. Thanks for joining in today. If you want to be a part of the show, six seven three five eight ninety is the number. It is open line Friday. I would love to hear from you. Those of you that never call, maybe today's the day. Pick it up six seven three five eight nine zero and check in with the show. Uh, we'll probably have a few of the usuals at call, but uh, also uh, we'll get the, hopefully some new folks to come and uh, join in on the conversation today. And had a couple of news and notes I wanted to talk about that will kind of help uh, get things kicked off uh, a little bit. Uh, a couple of stories came across the wire today. Some of them are a little lighter than others. Some of them are a little heavy. And there was something I did want to talk about, a very serious matter, later on in the program. But let's start with this one. A Pennsylvania woman. Uh, now, uh, before I read this story, a couple of weeks ago, uh, it was maybe a couple of months ago now, uh, we had a story that uh, kind of made the news cycle, lasted about two days, about a, a lady who passed away uh, when, they, when she passed away. They went and did a welfare check on her, and they found, found her, passed away. She was older. She was, you know, in her 80s. Uh, but they, uh, as they cleaned out the apartment, they found her husband in the freezer, and he'd been dead for a number of, I think it was nine years or something like that. Uh, and the lady had put her husband in the freezer so that she could continue. And by the way, this was his idea, not hers. Uh, but uh, she put him in the freezer so that she could continue to collect his Social Security checks. It's fraudulent, yes. Uh, not recommended. Don't do that. Uh, but uh, there was. Uh, it was somewhat of a victimless crime in that... Uh, you know, she just took some money from the government. I don't know what if they went after the family to try to get that money back or whatever. I don't don't have a follow up story on that. But the lady passed away, so they, she didn't get charged with anything and anything, and they didn't find it out till later. But this there's another uh, story similar to that in the news today, and uh, there this one uh, actually uh, involves a lady who's still alive. Uh, and her grandmother. So here's the story. A Pennsylvania woman is accused of keeping her grandmother's body in a freezer for, get this, 15 years in order to get her Social Security checks. Investigators discovered the frozen body inside of a Warren Township, this is Pennsylvania, in a Warren Township home, and determined that it was a 97-year-old Glenora DeLahey. DeLahey died in March of 2004 it's almost 16 years ago, more than 15 years ago. Authorities then found that actually it says 16 years now that her granddaughter, 61 year old Cynthia black had been collecting her checks since then. Black was arrested this week. She told police she did it because her family needed the money. Black has been charged with abuse of a corpse theft by unlawful taking and receiving stolen property. If convicted, she will also be ordered to pay back the money. Now, if you do the math, uh it's almost sixteen years uh at about a thousand dollars a month and uh yeah twelve months in well anyway that's over three hundred thousand dollars that this lady is going to have to uh pay back that's a lot of money, yeah. Uh, And then the other story, this one, a little bit better news, a little happier story. A 103-year-old woman is celebrating beating COVID-19. Yes, she had COVID-19, 103 years old, and she beat it. How is she celebrating? Well, uh, this is how. Jenny Stena is the first person from her nursing home to get diagnosed with COVID-19. As her sickness worsened, her family was uncertain if their great-grandmother would make it, so they were prepared to say their final goodbyes. But... Unexpectedly, on May 13th, Stena started recovering. Since then, doctors say she is virus-free. She celebrated by enjoying a cold Bud Light from her hospital bed, surrounded by family. Phil Hewlett, NBC News Radio. Mom, the negatives going on with COVID nineteen, and of course the rioting in Minnesota and the cries of uh, racial inequality and things like that. That's kind of a cool story, a feel good story of a lady who uh, survived, hundred three year old who survived and thrived now after beating COVID nineteen in her nursing home. Uh, so congratulations to her, and uh, and uh, like I said, kind of the feel good story of the day. We're gonna go to the phone lines now. Again, it's open line Friday. Would love to hear from you. Six seven three five eight 890 later in the show. Of course, we'll talk about uh, the uh, gentleman who was uh, well killed by police. I mean, there's no other way to put it. I want to soft sell it. You know, oh, well he passed. No, he was killed by a policeman uh, and really for, for no good reason. We'll talk about that later on in the program as well. The writing that's going on right now. Uh, the uptick of COVID-19 cases here in Southern Utah too. But right now let's talk about what you guys want to talk about. Let's go to the lines here. So uh, Seth, Seth, what's up?
2: Uh, I'm awfully cold. I think I'm in the
1: freezer. <laughs> well, you,
2: I, there's a telephone line yeah. in here, and and but I'm getting really chilled, and I, I think my fingers and toes are turning blue.
1: Well, if if you are in the freezer, tell your wife not to not to tell anybody you died, and you can just keep you there and keep getting the checks for a while, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, she's
2: out working with the ducks this morning. She's got new uh, ducklings, and uh, so she's not here to hear that. So, uh, And she, you know, doesn't have a radio with her, so she might not get that idea.
1: Uh, if, yeah, just stay out of the walk-in freezer, because you might get the door shut behind you.
2: Exactly. I'd like to talk about the uh, prematurely, obviously, uh, but who in the world would allow... Uh, Antifa gangs, I saw, once again, I'm looking at the at Molotov cocktails that you just don't put in your pocket. Right. I'm seeing bricks and I'm seeing broken bricks and uh, chunks of rock strategically placed in the middle of the street so you can pick one up and uh, throw it at a policeman.
1: So where, yeah, where's all that coming from?
2: If somebody is bringing it there, there's no police presence, there's gunshots, there's no fire, there's uh, uh, the entire city run by the Democrat uh, uh, mayor is uh, not there. They ran away from their property. Now, you would think a police department had the ability to defend itself.
1: Yeah, yeah. Instead, they evacuated.
2: Out um, and and I see now state police in riot gear, holding batons in their hand, very menacing. Now, hmm. if you're there to protest and you live in the community, and I, I don't, you know, I, I don't think I'd fly across the country to go to a uh, uh, a potential riot. But I think the people there are antifa; they're professional agitators there are people who want to destroy uh, what what good things is the average citizen going to do when they ransack and burn down a police department
1: so you don't think these are local people that are that are doing this you think these are these are pro- professionals.
2: I do. I think this is part of Antifa. There are people coming from other... I'm I'm reporting now what Fox News is saying with direct Uh people on the ground. And there's people from other communities carpooling and coming into the area so they can get into a Target or whatever store that's been knocked out by the windows and destroyed. I think we we're talking maybe billions of dollars worth of damage that the people, honest law-abiding citizen in the community, will end up having to buy a new police department.
1: Well, you know, Seth, in you saying that, see, I always felt like, and we even had a conversation about this yesterday, that this wouldn't happen in St. George, Utah, because our citizens are too responsible. But if you're saying that these aren't the citizens of Minneapolis that are that are uh, kind of causing all this mayhem, these are people that are coming in from the outside, that tells me, Seth, that, that could happen here then? Is that what you're saying?
2: For sure, and let me tell you another secret. Every one of the meetings for CERT training and for preparedness always says uh, one thing, that with when your children miss nine meals, we turn into them. Really? And they're going to come to the guy next door, or maybe take a stake directory and go down the hierarchy from the stake president and the bishops, because chances are they are prepared. And so maybe church roles would be a hunting list of wow. where to go to get food.
1: Wow! Yeah,
2: and water. Now this is common parlance. This is common uh, knowledge in any preparation or people who are preppers. Are that hmm. within nine meals we turn into them.
1: Wow, that that's scary, Seth. That, I mean, that's it's. I, I hate to say it, Seth, but that's kind of cynical. Uh, I hope that's not true. Let's go to line two. Collar, you're on with Andy. What's up? You there? Right.
3: Yeah, go ahead. Well, I don't know uh, how long people around here would put up with it. Outsiders coming in and tearing everything up and rioting and and being all violent because we have this little distinctive here, this thing here, that uh, places like Minneapolis don't have. It's called a Second Amendment. Hmm. And um, I I don't know. I think if a bunch of outsiders came in and started rioting and destroying things, I got a feeling that the... uh, second
1: amendment would be justifiably used i i i think i agree with you but i i, I will say this that's and i've said this before and this probably that's a hard thing to think about using a weapon to take someone else's life and, and that's why when i'm looking at minneapolis and i'm going why did the police leave why are they letting this happen i think the police are trying to avoid killing anybody else they're already in trouble for the one death i i wonder oh, no. if they're they're just worried about doing it again I'm not I'm not saying that we're gonna be the wild west. Yeah.
3: But there's just a whole different mentality around here. Because if a bunch of outsiders came in and started talking about burning down your business and your home and threatening your family, yeah, they'd get a whole lot different reaction around here than they would back there.
1: Yeah, that's true. Well we we you know,
3: because we, we care a little more about that kind of stuff than people do in big cities. Yeah. So, and we we must remember, okay, and this is the, the brilliance of the Minneapolis mayor speaking here. <laughs> this isn't about this death. All of this isn't about this death, folks. This is about 400 years of racism. Oh, boy. I don't know if you heard him when he gave his little speech and went on his little uh, leftist radical, got to blame somebody for racism rant.
1: No, I didn't but, hear yeah. but I saw bits and pieces, yeah.
3: Yeah, um... It, it, it was quite informative that, uh, you know, like Seth said, the place has been run by Democrats for how long? They've been promising people all this kind of, you know, this and that, and on and on and on for how long? 50-plus years. But then it comes down to this, and now, oh, no, it's 400 years of racism.
1: You know, the, the, and the weird thing is, mi- if you just ask a general person, well, what do you think of Minneapolis-St. Paul? What do you think of the Twin Cities there? Most of them are going to say, well, that's that's kind of the heartland of America a little bit. It's probably hardworking regular folks who who care about stuff. And so to hear that they are ruled by Democrats and have been and reelected these Democrats over and over and over again, I think it's a little bit surprising to a lot of people. I know it is to me.
3: Yeah, it, it is. I just, I don't know. I, I don't know what kind of a labor union presence there is there. Yeah. But uh if the labor union's got a stranglehold on everything, well there's you know, there's your big money coming in for Democrats. Because it to me personally, labor unions are nothing more than laundering services for money for Democrat Party. Right. Yeah. You know, just like uh we don't have a media anymore. We have Democrat representatives that pose as reporters.
1: Well and and, and the thing is and I can tell you this, having been trained up in the media, that uh Ninety nine percent of the time, the media members are more liberal than the people they're serving, which is, you know, is a problem, a real problem. Yeah, because they're pushing their own uh, agendas.
3: Oh, yeah. Well, and and I, I can recall many times, Mike, when people would bring this up and Mike talked about when he went through school and he would write a story and turn it in. And the instructor was going, whoa, 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 whoa. You need to get out of this. You need to be more neutral. You need, and that's the way it used to be. But now, yeah. I'm convinced that if you go into any kind of uh, journalism school now, the second you walk in the door, they probably tell you if you're any kind of a conservative, check it at the door, because by the time we get done with you, you're going to be a flaming radical leftist.
1: Yeah. Yeah, you know, I've worked in a half a dozen newsrooms over the years as a, as a newspaper writer, always in sports. Uh, and it's a, it's a weird thing because you go into these newspapers and uh, basically the sports guys were, were people who were members of the community anyway. When I worked at the Spectrum uh, back in the 90s, I was, you know, I was a St. George guy and, and I happened to be good at sports and that's what I did. But everyone at that newspaper when I worked there, and again, this is 92, 90, just into 96, I think it was, uh, everyone that was in there was a transplant. There were no St. George natives on the staff, and every one of them was liberal and very, very, very. Uh, well, opposite of me, I guess I should say. Uh, they, I, you know, and, and so me and my assistant sports editor, we were like the local guys who actually represented what St. George was all about. And we actually fought every step of the way, the rest of the staff, on what stories we were supposed to write and how we were supposed to cover things. It was frustrating.
3: Yeah. I, now, think about that. You're talking sports. Yeah. You know, but does it surprise you when you look and uh, we've got ESPN and they politicize everything? Yes,
1: the they do. Sadly, and if you don't believe yeah.
3: that, just go back and look at the soccer winnings of the women's soccer team. Well, it, you yeah. don't think everything's politicized.
1: That's right. Oh yeah, they don't make enough money. That's right. And yeah. and, and look at what the the coverage they give this Kaepernick joker. You know, and and now oh, yeah. that's and now that's back again. Unfortunately, uh, yeah. people yeah. saying and well, the, yeah, go ahead. Oh, I
3: was going to say, you know, going down that road that you're talking about right there. Yeah, Colin Kaepernick, big leftist. Cop hating, and if you don't think that, go look at the picture of the socks the man wore. Little pigs with police hats on, but no, 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 no. We're not supposed to talk about that, and that's not what it's about, but that's what's represented. But now, you know, like you said, he's getting all of the accolades. He gets the Nike deals. He gets this. He gets that. Let's go back and let's look at what happened to Alejandro Villanueva when he went out onto the field in Chicago and put his hand over his heart for the national anthem.
1: I don't, I don't recall that. Tell me more about it.
3: That was, uh, it was beginning of the season a few years ago when all of this was going on. Pittsburgh Steelers traveled to Chicago. Out of the entire Steelers team, Alejandro was the only one that came out oh, for yeah, the yeah, National yeah. Anthem. I remember, yeah. his hand over his heart and they crucified him for he,
1: it. He ran out onto the field before the National Anthem all by himself while his teammates stayed yeah. in the locker room.
3: Yeah. And his coach belittled him for it. And the media belittled him for it. And the, the guy basically got crucified, tattooed, and demonized until he came out and apologized. Hmm.
1: That's rough. Yeah. All yeah,
3: right. And the, the real sad part about this is, and I don't know how many know it, that man is a special forces veteran.
1: Oh, awesome. Wow. Well, you know, I the, the thing that really bothers me about this whole Kaepernick thing, and I saw a meme yesterday, yes, on Facebook, that said, This is why Colin Neal's to expose the racism in police departments. And I was just like, wait a minute. So you're saying that Colin says, well, no no matter what Colin says, you're saying that the reason that this policeman killed that guy is because he's white and that guy's black. And that's the reason it happened. Now, you know, like, like Rush and and Mark Levin and Sean Hannity. And uh, of course I condemn what happened. It was a police officer that made an incredibly stupid decision, uh, who, who didn't listen to the people that were talking to him, didn't listen to the suspect, and he ended up killing him. And he's going to have to, I believe, I firmly believe, they're going to throw the book at him. And probably uh, the other policemen that were there that were a part of it. It's wrong. He never should have done it. it. was terrible. But really, was it because he was white and that guy was black? Is that the reason it happened? Really? I'm not buying it. We have a police officer that did something really, really, really stupid. And it's going to cost him uh, life as he knows it. But really, it's all because he was white and that guy was black? That's the reason? I don't think so. I think it's because he's a, a, a police officer who made a dumb decision. And it sounds like, and uh, like I said yesterday, it's going to come out. His record, it sound, already I saw one or two uh, little little snippets in the news about him having been disciplined before and him having some other issues. This isn't about white and black. This is about a bad cop who did, who's, who's a bully who did something really, really evil. It's not about white and black. All right, let's go back to the phone line. Caller, you're on with Andy. What's up?
0: Hey, Andy. So, you know, Steph had talked about uh, uh, people coming in to our community and, it, you know, would that happen and such yeah. of things. Uh, and, you know, you mentioned that you would have a hard time, you know, pulling the trigger or whatever, you know, taking a life if it came down to it. Sure. Well, this has all happened before. And, you know, since Seth brought up, you know, state presidents and bishops and using the church roles as a, a, a map of where to go. Right. I'm going to go that direction. <laughs> okay. So it all comes back. You know, there was a time where they had to, the people had to waive what they called the title of liberty in defense of their country, their God, and their families. And, you know, as hard as it would be, because I'm in the same boat as you, I would never want to take the life of another person. But if someone was coming in to take away my liberties and to threaten my family and to try to convince me to uh, go away from my God, which, let's face it, that's what the left is trying to do, Mm -hmm. I would have no problem waiving that title of liberty and doing what needed to be done.
1: That's well said. I agree with you. And, and, you know, and I, I don't think you're, a, I don't know, a wimp pansy, whatever, and or I'm a wimp or a pansy because we don't want to take someone else's life. I think that's a, an admirable quality. But uh, you make a good point. At what point? I mean, what is on the line that would make you go to that point? Is it liberty? Is it your, your religion? Would you die in the name of your God? And I'm not asking you specifically. I'm asking people in general. Would you, would you die for your religion? Do you, do you believe that strongly? And, uh, yeah, hopefully the answer is yes. I like what you said, though. Title of liberty.
0: Well, just just real quick, uh, you know, you were talking, most of the people who have guns are not looking to use them. Right. They are there for protection. And I guarantee you, there are a small percentage I'm, of someone who is looking for the opportunity to use their gun. But that is a very, very small percentage.
1: Yeah, I think so, too. Uh, and I will say this. I have a gun at home. And I don't own that gun because I hunt. I don't own that gun because I like to go skeet shooting or whatever it is. I own that gun because someday, maybe, I might need to protect my family. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that, right? No, there's not. All right. Thanks, Andy. Thanks for the call today. Appreciate it. Good to talk to you. It is uh, 930. We've got to get the weather break in. When we come back, we'll take more of your phone calls. I do have a... Uh, Something I want to read to you later in the show. Hopefully, we'll have some time in about maybe ten minutes. Too, um, it's very serious, very, very heavy, and I'm not trying to bring anybody down. But I, I like the way that a family dealt with a tragedy, and I want to get into that. But that's a, probably about twenty minutes or so from right now. <laughs> Happy Friday to you. Six seven three five eight nine zero is the phone number. It's open line Friday. Love to hear from you. What's on your mind, boy? A lot of things in the news right now. Of course, uh, the death uh, of the black man in Minnesota by the white cop. That's how they're. That's how they're deeming it. I'm just. I'm just reading off the paper, folks. But uh, I. I don't think it should be doomed that way. Deemed that way. I think it should be the death of a suspect by a police officer. It was wrong. It was terrible. Obviously makes you it makes me angry you look at the picture where he's begging for his life I can't breathe, I can't breathe and the police officer won't move. but I don't think it's about black and white and that's the thing that frustrates me is that media has turned it into uh, being about black and white now uh that happened uh, several uh, several days ago and in fact they've had three nights of riots now in Minneapolis and last night was the big one as the uh, the uh rioters. Uh, if you can believe this, the rioters actually set the police department on fire in the third precinct there in, in Minnesota. Uh, the, uh, they talked to Mayor Jacob Fry of Minnesota, of Minneapolis, and he said that he uh, actually made the call to pull the officers from the third pre- precinct, saying it was obvious the safety of the police officers and the public was at risk. Do you hear, do you hear how they slipped that in there? He said it's the safety of the police officers and the public was at risk. Well, I don't think the safety of the police officers was at risk because they're all carrying tasers and guns. I think the safety of the public was at risk. Now, who that public was and where they came from, we don't know that. But uh, I, I mean, the the police left. It, it came down to a decision. I think it came down to for for the uh, mayor. He was like, "Well, I don't want my I don't want my police shooting anybody." And okay, but really, if people are, are coming with weapons, with rocks, with with knives, with a, I don't know, chairs, whatever, whatever they're using to, to, uh, to commit this violence. And they come to the police precinct and the police all leave and say, have at it. What kind of message is that sending? That message is yeah. uh, Anarchy rules. We don't care. Do what you want. I don't like, I don't like that at all. That just to, to me, it's like, why, why are you giving up? Why are you letting them have their way? It's like a a toddler throwing a a tantrum, and you can react. And I guess a lot of parents will say, well, you let him have his tantrum. Let him go. Just ignore him. Have you been in a grocery store when someone's done that? When some mom or dad has a little kid, and the kid falls on the floor and starts screaming and pounding the floor and yelling, what was your reaction? Well, okay, what was the parent's reaction? Some parents let him scream. Others encourage it, other parents maybe try to keep them quiet him down uh I'm the kind of parent that would grab my kid, pick him up, and take him out of the store and we'd go sit in the car and we'd you know talk it over and uh there might be a spanking involved there, and I you know nowadays I might get arrested, I don't know, but uh Everyone's got their own parenting styles, and I'm not going to criticize anyone for their parenting style, but I can tell you this, uh, uh, you know, the Minnesota, Minneapolis mayor, just let them go. Let them do their thing. I don't know why. Yeah, let's go back to the phone lines. Caller, you're on with Andy. What's up?
4: Hi, good morning. Morning. Um, I have a little bit different take on your question about why they left. Yeah. Like, let's, let's set the scene here in St. George. Okay. I think we have maybe 150 officers now, maybe a little less, but at any given time at the station there might be 50 30 I don't know. Yeah. Now if you got 300 people outside armed and and mad and not only the the weapons that throw projectiles but how about Molotovs and things where you're going to set fire to the building. I think it was a pretty smart move to get those officers out of there because you know the just the numbers game there the pros and the cons the fours and the gants and whatever. Um, just because they're police uh, I don't think I still don't think you can go go a, a two to one or a three to one ratio and come out ahead on that fight. But uh, anyway, that's just yeah. coming ahead.
1: I guess the, the thing is 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 you've got guns though. I mean, if if uh, I don't know, it's it's a tough decision to make. But, I, I understand how, that.
4: How many of the citizens may may have had had guns?
1: Yeah, that um, I don't know. You know,
4: yeah. And once you once you start a building on fire, that really closes the options down with the exits and so forth. Somebody. Uh, somebody who uses that weapon of fire wisely can really wreak it and, and trap people inside and make it uh, make it even worse than it could be otherwise so i don't know i'm just thinking that that uh, it might not have been the chicken thing to do it might have been the prudent thing to do so, all right
1: thank you yeah good take thank you i appreciate that uh and and a, and a good idea uh i just i don't know that i agree i i feel like that I mean, are our police force, aren't they the ultimate authority? I I wish actually, you know, I wish I had Tiffany uh, from St. George Police Department here to ask her what she would do. Tiffany tends to avoid the really hard questions. I understand that because as a police, you've got to remain fairly neutral. But uh, it'd be interesting to get her take on that is, uh, you know, what what should the police have done? Set up a perimeter? Uh, You know, yeah, if you're outnumbered, three to one, four to one, five to one, ten to one. At what point do you say, okay, it's better to let them do what they're going to do? I guess. I don't know. I, I did you see some of the video? Of those people uh, breaking into Target and 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 stealing, just walking out of Target, throwing bricks, and walking out of Target with whatever they felt like. That made me so mad. I mean, I you know, watching the video of the of the Floyd guy get murdered by that policeman, that made me mad. It did, but also. Watching those people under the guise of social injustice, like Colin Kaepernick, Kaepernick accepting his giant checks for kneeling on the sideline. These people go in there and say, oh, well, you know, a white person, a white cop killed a black person. I think I'll go steal a TV. Wait, what? How does how does that fit? It doesn't even make sense to me. All right, go back to the phone lines. Caller, you're on with Andy. What's up this morning?
5: Hi, Andy. Hey. I just... Uh You know, there's a lot of pieces to this uh, puzzle that's taking place uh, around the country and specifically in Minneapolis. And uh, I lived in the Minneapolis-St. Paul area for better than 20 years. Oh, did you? Okay. I have a pretty good idea idea of how people are and, uh, you know, what's going on up there. They're no different than than we are really. Uh, You know, if you look at our capital city, Salt Lake City, would anybody say that that's a conservative, strong, liberty-minded uh, uh, city? Not anymore. Not That's right, not anymore. And Minneapolis-St. Paul is exactly the same way. If you go out into the suburbs, out into Lakeville, Burnsville, Eagan, all of these uh, various uh, communities that outlie from the uh, metropolitan area, you find that they're just like we are. There's lots of conservatives there. Mm-hmm. And by the way, the, the earlier caller and. I agree with him uh, most of the time. He's a good guy. But his, his assumption that the people in Minneapolis-St. Paul aren't uh, Second Amendment-minded, I would just remind him that I'll bet you there's three times more guns in that area per capita than there are here. Really? Those folks, they're hunters, they're sportsmen. They, they love their guns, and they use them regularly. So this isn't about whether or not uh, you know somebody's willing to defend themselves. You know, it's the city. It's it's Minneapolis that's getting burned down. Not many are, you know, the the problems. Not many people uh, in the outlying areas are inclined to grab a gun and run to Minneapolis, St. Paul. Right. So, you know, the people who live within the city, yeah, they're they're overwhelmed by liberalism. And one of the other callers that was talking about and I think this is exactly what's going on, is that you remember Rahm Emanuel, I don't know, several ten five six 10 years, I don't know, time passes pretty fast these days, um, said, don't let a crisis go to waste. That's right. Well, there's a lot of people out there that, that hate this country. And they will use any, and they're all leftists, they'll, they'll use any opportunity to try to stir the pot, to try to uh, create havoc and chaos, because that's what they thrive on. They hate America, they hate what it was founded on, and they are hell-bent on turning this into a communist-slash-socialist, country. They're, they're, we're surrounded by them. And so don't think for a second that the people in Minneapolis are happy about it. I guarantee you that most people feel about it the same way we do. Why are they allowing these thugs, these criminals to run wild? They're, they're, they're looking for law enforcement to take control. And, and every day that they don't, they teach these guys one more time It's okay. We're not going to do anything. We're going to stand down. You know, there was a mayor. This was, again, 10 years ago. This happened, I don't remember where it was. It was maybe uh, uh, Atlanta, Memphis, somewhere where there was a, a shooting, a similar thing, an uprising like this. And the mayor basically came out and said, you know what, we're standing down. We're just going to let these people vent. They have a right to vent, and we're going to let them. Well, it's true they have a right to vent. To the point they're not damaging somebody else's property, exactly. they're not endangering yeah. somebody else's life. And so, yeah, you, you can go out and you can demonstrate, protest, uh, that's great. But the moment you become a criminal, and, and there's lots of it running around right now, and law enforcement doesn't enforce the law, we're just making things worse. Yep. And like the earlier caller said, look, I understand, you, you want to de-escalate this situation. But you don't de-escalate it by ignoring basic common laws of property and safety. Uh, This is, it's been going on for for a long time now. We don't want to hold anybody accountable for anything.
1: Yeah, well said. I agree with you. And and things change when you start breaking into stores and throwing bricks through windows and, and things like that. It turns you into something different entirely. Thanks for the call today. All right, we got uh, phone lines are lit up. Let's go to line three. Caller, you're on with Andy. Thank you for being patient. Our hold function is not working correctly right now, but uh, thank you for calling in. What's on your mind?
5: Thank you. Uh, I totally agree with that last caller. This situation uh, that happened uh, sets a precedent, and, uh, and if it's not nipped in the bud, why will, the next place will be St. Louis or some other city. Mm-hmm. They'll take o- take over, and the uh, cops will stand down. And uh, uh, the mayor made a horrible mistake by not reinforcing his cops and take care of these people.
1: Yeah, good call. I agree if, with
5: if you. If, li- if your life is threatened, if you're a policeman, I have a I have a, a grandson that's a deputy sheriff in California. And if your if your life is threatened, you have every right to shoot.
1: Yeah. All right. Hey, thanks for the call. I appreciate that. I, I, I think I think he's right. And and the thing about it, you know, that mayor said, hey, we're just going to pull the police out of there. I think he went the wrong direction. I think he could have sent more police. I think he should have, you know, called the national guard. Should have gotten the and and they're there now. But that's because the president sent them, not because the mayor wanted them. Uh, I think he should have sent more people. Got the state police involved, and because. It's the message you're sending. You know, my, my analogy again with the little kid. If you let the little kid get away with it, next time next time the situation arises, what's the little kid going to do? The exact same thing. Well, if you let these people get away with it, they burned down a police precinct. They burned down a police station. Let me say it one more time. They burned down a police station in Minneapolis, and the mayor, all he did was pull everybody out of there. Yeah, let them do it. Let them vent. Let them have their way that's not america i don't know where that is that's you know that's that's something that would happen uh you know in a third world country that's not that's not america and and uh you know do what do what has to be done to to get things under control mayor don't let it slide all right time for commercial break when we come back oh i do want to do this before i go to break uh there's a young man by the name of cameron moody he has a Cancer in his, on his eye. In fact, he lost one of his eyes. It's a scary situation. Cameron is fighting cancer. They're having a fundraiser for Cameron at Voodoo Pizza in St. George, right there on the boulevard, uh, this Saturday. That's tomorrow. Uh, From 4 p.m. to 10 p.m., they'll have a voodoo pizza. They'll be giving a a part of the proceeds of their pizza sales uh, for this young man. There will also be the corn dog company food truck will be there. Uh, They'll be giving away some prizes, other goodies. Uh, Again, all proceeds from sales this day will go to support the Moody family as their sweet 2-year-old Cameron Moody undergoes chemotherapy. If you want to learn more about Cameron, go to GoFundMe.com and just search for Cameron Moody, spelled just like it sounds, Cameron Moody. Uh, there's a nice page, kind of writes out, uh, writes about what he's going through, and stuff. But uh, and I know our cohorts at ESPN Radio are going to be there live for part of the day to help promote this uh, event and and to help uh, help the family, the Moody family, deal with this scary situation with their young man with with Cameron. Uh, again, four to ten on Saturday at Voodoo Pizza, raising money uh, to help the Moody family and this young young fella deal with cancer. We'll be right back. I've got something kind of serious I want to talk about, but a good, I don't know, good, good ending, but a good story when we come back. Joe Shoney is a local loan consultant. He's been in southern Utah for two and a half decades, and his big thing is customer service. Yeah, he wants to make you feel comfortable. He wants to keep you updated every step of the way. If you've bought a house lately or had some kind of big loan, you know it can be a hassle. It can be a pain, a lot of worry, a lot of lost sleep. Well, Joe takes care of everything, so you don't have to lose sleep. You don't have to worry. Uh, in fact, uh, out of now or 352 reviews online, Joe averages 4.91 stars here's the latest one from Jeremy he said Joe Sue and their team are great to work with Always following up quickly if you have a question. Thank you so much, Five Stars. Another Five Star from Michael and Cedar said, The entire loan process from start to finish worked out great. Everyone was super easy to work with, and they took great care of us. It's Joe Shoney. That's his name. His phone number is 435-590-6300. Or you can email him, joe.shoney, S-C-H-O-N-E-Y, joe.shoney at nafin Southwest Behavioral uh, Department in Utah. Sorry, about that. I cut that off. But uh, Andy Griffin here. Just a few minutes left in the show. If you'd like to call in, 673-5890. I do have uh, something I wanted to go over here for a few minutes. Uh, I beg your indulgence. Uh, now, I've talked about it in the past on this show. Uh, suicide is something that uh, touched my life. I My my brother, uh, well, it's been 20, 23 years ago that my brother killed himself. And... Uh, you know it's it's a life altering thing uh obviously for the person that does it but for those around him those that were close to the person that does it and uh there's there are so many questions that never ever get answered when it comes to suicide why how how come you didn't think there was any help how come you didn't love me enough all those questions are there and uh the other day i came across this obituary in uh, it's in the, it's in utah Cache valley uh from a lady who who uh, chose to end her life. And it was sobering to me because uh, of the situation. And I'm going to read you some of that obituary. Not the whole thing. It's pretty lengthy, but I'm going to read you some of it. And uh, kind of get your thoughts on what you think of the way the family dealt with it. Okay. Uh, her name is Chaley, Chaley, C-H-A-Y-L-I-E, Chaley Holmgren. Chaley Holmgren, born September 5th, 1991. That puts her at 28 years of old, of, of age daughter of Chad Holmgren and Mindy Hogan, chose to end her journey on this earth Sunday, May 17th, 2020. Yeah, that was, what was that? Uh, last Sunday. Yeah, we could go Sunday. She is survived by her children, London, who is 10, Braken, who is six, Brixton, who is two, her parents, uh, her brothers, and her grandparents, Gail and Kathleen Stenquist, as well as, uh, yeah, the other grandparents. I'm not going to list all their names. It's Chaley with her unforgettable megawatt smile and infectious laugh. And I urge you to go to Valley, uh, dot com Valley and check this obituary out. Uh, it says, Chaley with her unforgettable megawatt smile. Beautiful lady. An infectious laugh could light the darkest of rooms. She was adored by everyone who met her. She was vivacious, loyal, spunky, and strong-willed, kind and tenacious, with a loving and gracious spirit. She loved family gatherings, playing games, making people laugh. It goes on to talk about all all her great things. She was a cherished and devoted mother, daughter, sister, granddaughter, niece, cousin, and friend who was loved dip, uh, deeply. She was stunning in every form and facet. Anyway, you know, we see all that. And I, I don't doubt this stuff is true, but we see that in, in quite a bit of obituaries. Then they get to the serious stuff. It says, No one knew the darkness she faced when alone or the impossible standards a perfectionist sets for oneself. Vehemently private, Chaley didn't discuss her demons within. We did not hear of or see her insurmountable and all-consuming pain. This realization that someone could so successfully hide in broad daylight as a pillar of strength portray such perfection and project as much joy as Chaley did has left us all who knew her shaken to the core. It is impossible to prepare for the harsh reality of losing a loved one, especially a parent or child, at far too young of an age. And remember, her children were 10, 6, and 2. Uh, One person... Let's see. Oh, her death is martis in significant, painful, and permanent ways. Suicide is a complicated end and compounds with an array of feelings and stigma. Oh, I can tell you that's, per- that's the truth. One person taking their own life every 40 seconds is an epidemic of massive proportion. That number again, one person in the- in America takes their own life every 40 seconds. And we're worried about COVID? Really? Leaving no family untouched. The ensuing recovery for families must find a balance between the crushing punches of abandonment, betrayal, rage, and this, this list of emotions, they're real. They really happen. When someone you, dies, you know dies by their own hand, you feel again. Abandonment, betrayal, rage, doubt, shame, shock, blame, fear, sorrow, loss, guilt, regret, and confusion. And the only thing that can combat, combat those are the light-filled promises of presence, love, and joy through the memories and legacy left behind. It is, this family member that wrote this said, it has left us utterly breathless. The desperation, pain, and despair Chaley must have endured to feel it best to leave her most beloved children and her family is unimaginable, heartbreaking. Somehow, Chailey believed we could live without her. As much as that confidence is resented, we will draw strength from her faith in us to carry on. We will carry Chaley's legacy with us—her determination, intelligence, strength, and warmth—as well as her fears, her flaws, her untimely death. It goes on to talk about, uh, you know, some of her other great qualities. Uh, she was a religious person, and they—they uh, they are uh, strengthened in the in the faith of knowing that she's in the arms of her heavenly father now. Uh, and then, and then it says, uh, instead of flowers or or whatever you might send, uh, they've set up a GoFundMe account for the children. Um, well, one more, one more paragraph on this. We're almost out of time. The silent epidemic of suicide is catastrophic. If talking about it, exposing it, shouting it from the rooftops will help even one person. Find a way to talk about their pain. A difference can and must be made. To help others understand, we must reach out to family members, friends, and strangers. Show kindness and openness to talk and, more importantly, to listen, to see, to hear without judgment. If only to save one family from the pain and anguish of losing a loved one through bringing awareness to this tragic and senseless loss of life, then our beloved Chaley's death will not be in vain. See the signs. Save a life. We can't afford to lose another light. I can tell you. I can tell you that this is if suicide hasn't touched your life, you're lucky. But if suicide has touched your life, you know the, the emotions, the feelings that, that are there that never quite go away. 23 years ago, my brother killed, killed himself. I still think about what could I have done just a little bit differently that might've made him change his mind that might've kept him from pulling that trigger. And you know, here we are 23 years later. And I still wonder, um, life goes on. You move on. It helped me make some decisions that I think made my life better. So in a way, the suicide helped me in some ways, but, uh, Suicide is is an epidemic, and it's a thousand times worse than COVID-19. all we have to do is make a couple of little changes, be less judgmental, be kinder, be more open to listening to people's problems, and we can help stop it. No face mask required.